Welcome to the Sports Plus Live on Wednesday nights here. And if you happen to be listening to this on the podcast, welcome there as well because we've been uh, turning these into podcasts every week now as well. Uh, we got a lot to talk about this week. And actually, while we're on, I'm Corey Miller here with Frank Cusimano, File on Your Side Sports Director. Uh, we might get the Cardinals' first round draft pick, so that could be interesting, even though we probably don't know a whole lot about him yet. It might be a high school kid or just a. a I'm betting it's going to be a college pitcher, but we might get to see that live here with us. If you're watching on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, uh, drop us a comment or a question if you want us to talk about something. But first things first, we got to talk about Frank's interview uh, a couple days ago, or was it yesterday? I don't know. All the days are running together with Bill DeWitt Jr., where he had a couple quotes that got people fired up. Uh, Frank, just what... Uh, What's your takeaway from that whole interview? Obviously, everybody's talking about the uh, baseball is not a profitable business quote, but just what what are your main takeaways from your talk with Bill DeWitt? Well, I think, uh, first of all, when Bill DeWitt said it's not profitable, if you look at like the day-to-day operations and the money they spend and the money they directly bring in, it's probably not as profitable as some of the other businesses in his life, especially right now. Now, when he says not as profitable, does that really throw in all the money made from Ballpark Village? I don't know. I do know this is he bought the team for 150 million. It's probably worth 2.2 billion as we speak. So um, he's, he's not going to the poorhouse. But with all of that said, and I know he's taken a lot of heat here, Corey. I want to bring this up, too. In the history of St. Louis sports, he's the best owner we've ever had. Almost every year since he's had the team, since he bought the team in 95, they've either been in contention, won the thing outright, or you had the home run chase with McGuire. Ever since this guy took over, there's no doubt that we have cared about baseball in the month of September. And I grew up where a lot of people didn't care about the Cardinals in the month of September. So was was he wrong with some of his statements? Probably. But if you look at his body of work, I have a tough time, you know, trashing the Cardinal owner. Yeah. And he was on talking about the current stalemate between the owners and the players on on starting a season. Uh, Man, it seems every day. It's just new, somebody on, some player on social media taking a shot, owner's not budging at all, Scott Boris saying something, uh, we're trying to have hope, but we don't really know. It seems like it's all going to come down to the number of games played, how I'm seeing this, because the owners don't really want that many games, because they lose more money, at least it seems that way. Yeah, you know, Corey, it's, it's a great point. You have to remember, when the owners said that they're going to be paid on a prorated per game basis, that was a long time ago. That's when they anticipated having fans in the stands. Well, that's not going to happen. And I think the whole key is not so much the number of games played, but what the players make per game. Is it going to be 75%? Is it going to be 90%? Because we're getting closer and closer You know, on that on how many games each team, each side wants to play, 89 and 76, you'd think, yeah, you can make this thing happen. I mean, Corey, think about this. If this does not work out, we are not going to have Major League Baseball in the United States of America for 17 months. 
they better get their act together because they're going to, uh, this is where I really disagree with Bill DeWitt on about how, well, there've been work stoppages and people have come back. I think they're going to take a hit hard. I mean, a really hard hit in terms of season tickets and interest in the game, if there's no baseball in 2020. Well, and we've talked about this before. They just look bad. They can't get their act together. The other sports leagues seem, I mean, none have started officially really yet, except maybe NASCAR and the PGA having some events. Uh, But they've at least come together on ideas, and they've agreed, okay, here's what we're going to do when it happens. And baseball just seems so far apart. And I don't really think they can afford it because the the money is still there, obviously. But overall interest, I, I it's this is going to be really tough for them. I think if they don't play a season this year, it's going to be more detrimental than it was in 1994. Yeah, I think so too. And you're probably not going to have a Maguire Sosa, you know, saga to bring the game back in the near future either. So, and I also think about this. Um, because there's no baseball, what this does, there's so many different instances. Like, what happens to these minor league players that desperately need this really important year early in their career to make that next step and to get reps and to get better and better? Now they're robbed of a year of development. What does this do to, you know, career statistics? You know, guys that wanted to get to 500 home runs or possibly 3,000 hits. What does this do to Jack Flaherty? You know, can you imagine you're Jack Flaherty, you're right in the middle of this unbelievable career, and you're robbed of a season at age 25 or 26? Man, they're they're far-reaching ramifications for not playing this game. Honestly, it's in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter as much because, I mean, his place in history is already secured. But I thought about Albert. He's still got some room to climb. If he would have had a full season here – he could have made a real run at some of the, the top records in baseball, and he's definitely not going to get that now. And I, I, there's just so much to think about. I think we'll get baseball. I think it'll be – I'm going to guess it's going to be maybe about 70 games uh, if they can come to an agreement, or the commissioner's going to have to mandate like a 50-game schedule or something like that, which I would not like to see. Yeah. You know, I uh, text Bob Nightingale from USA Today. He's one of my all-time favorite people and probably the most connected media member there is. And I text him every day, and he has never wavered in terms of, hey, we're going to have baseball. And, you know, it's got to be decided by Friday. They have to get this thing done. It, it's going to happen, Corey. Yeah. Because, I mean, they're running out of time if they want to, they're going to have to have another spring training in home cities, get all the logistics figured out. They are running out of time to get something done. Uh, if you're watching us on Facebook or Twitter, I'm trying to monitor everything. If you got a question or a comment, uh, drop by, say hello. Uh, Shoe Lady Repair on Twitter says hello from St. Charles. Hello. Uh, you mentioned. Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa there helping bring baseball back in 1998 after the 94 strike. Uh, We're going to get a treat on Sunday. We are getting a 30 for 30 on the McGuire-Sosa home run chase. And you talked about it uh, a bit in your sportscast, and I'm sure we'll have some more uh, memories about it. What are you looking most forward to in this documentary? I'll tell you, I can't wait to hear from Sammy Sosa because it feels like it's been forever since I've seen him do an on-camera interview. 
Yeah, you're right. I think, you know, we've M Mark McGuire, and I think you've been with me on a couple of the interviews. He has given us some of our most thoughtful and most eloquent interviews at Channel 5 over the last six or seven years. And I do think, you know, when he caught heat during that 98 season for being short with the press, I do think some of that was chemical related. I mean, we know the side effects of steroids, plus, you know, the, the pressure on him every night and everybody coming to watch him take batting practice. So you're right, Sosa's the one we haven't heard much from. Uh, I, you know, I've heard some you know, bits and pieces of the thing, and he's talked about how he'd like a day back for him in Chicago. I don't know how he's gonna be received in Chicago. McGuire, we forgave, he's in the Hall of Fame, and it certainly helped that he was a spectacular hitting coach. I don't know how Sosa would be received you know, in Chicago, if they ever have a day for him or they ever bring him back. They they certainly haven't talked about it. Yeah, that's a good point. I'll tell you, I've been watching some of the trailers, and uh, our own Mike Bush, who was the sports director in 1998, is getting quite a bit of play in these trailers. He said they interviewed him uh, for more than an hour for this documentary, so Mike's going to be pretty heavily featured, I think. Yeah, Mike was the man back in uh, in 98, and I think I've mentioned this story on TV, but that um, that trip to Miami in um, it was August 31st, September 1 and September 2. We went to visit the Roger Maris family and talk with them about the record. And then we drove to Miami for the series and um, McGuire got off to a slow start in game one. I remember calling Mike. Uh, you know, I, I can't go on the air at 10 o'clock if he go, strikes out three times. He goes, you will go on the air, Frank. <laughs> and then McGuire hits two home runs. Very next night, he was 0 for 2. I call Mike. Mike, there's nothing for me to do here at 10 o'clock. He's, he, he's not going to have a good night. You will go on the air. And he hits two more home runs. And, you know, Corey, we were so swept up in it that we weren't thinking about steroids. We were just thinking about this incredible performance. I was so stupid on the air that night. I said this, I said, gosh, if I had a sister, I'd love to introduce her to Mark McGuire. And then right after I got off the air, my <laughs> sister called and she said, Frank, you have two sisters. <laughs> oh, man. I liked uh, what Bob Ramsey had to say uh, tonight, just about if you look back on it any differently. And it was really just about the excitement. And I think... I think you kind of you've said this before. That's kind of how it is with the Rams too. You look back and you're like, ah, oh, darn. But then you remember, and you get taken back to all the excitement and just you remember the good times. <laughs> yeah, I mean, every at bat, you just you structured your trips to the restroom, uh, to restaurants. You know, everything in your life that year was geared around you know the Mark McGuire at bat. Let me see if the Cardinals drafted somebody yet. I think they're still waiting. Uh, but we got another big thing coming up this weekend. Friday, actually. A year ago Friday, we were in Boston on the ice after the St. Louis Blues won the Stanley Cup. Uh, year anniversaries are always big, and I'm sure the Blues are going to be rolling out some special stuff. Especially now with no hockey, uh, it's we're going to be talking about it even more. But... The feeling really hasn't died, I feel like. It's still going strong. It feels like just the other day uh, all the excitement was around and it's still going on. That's how I feel. How about you? 
Absolutely. And, you know, in the back of all of our minds during this gloomy COVID-19 period is, hey, don't forget the Blues going to get a chance to defend their Stanley Cup and they may have the best team in hockey to do it. So, yeah, I couldn't be more excited. Um, you know, some of the guys are skating right now at Centene. Some of the guys are skating in their hometown. But, yeah, this is it's going to be, you know, September hockey is normally it's not existed. It's going to be incredible in St. Louis very shortly. I think we've probably talked about this before, but just what is the when you think back on game seven uh, in that whole maybe 24 hour stretch? What's a story or an antidote or something that really jumps at you, man? I remember this. This was my favorite part of the whole thing. Frank, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. What, what was your – oh, you were going to say your favorite part of the whole uh, thing? Just when you look back on when, – when you look back oh, at game seven, yeah. what in that whole maybe that twenty-four hour stretch, what's like your favorite story or antidote really that comes to your mind? You know, it was something that happened before game seven, and I think you were with me, but uh, I, I guess the Boston uh, ice people were uh, the Blues were supposed to get on the ice at a certain time, and the Zamboni people for the Bruins way late. And so I was watching this. I saw it in great detail. Doug Armstrong walked halfway around the rink and he says, hey, what the hell's going on here? The ice should be ready right now. And then the guy says, who are you? He says, I'm the manager of the St. Louis Bleeping Blues. Get the ice bleeping ready. And then he walked right back. <laughs> I and, you remember know, Corey, that. Let's face that it, was, they, they got big. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it was tremendous. It was so fun. And let's remember, you know, they lost game six. You're going back to Boston for game seven. You know, the odds makers were certainly not with the Blues at the time at all. And they just, they blow them out. And, you know, from that game, I think Zach Sanford, uh, the Bostonian who had lost his father at training camp, scoring a goal in game seven is one of the coolest things. And then afterwards, you know, hearing, you know, the normally reticent and reserved Al McKinnis, you know, almost break down and Bernie Federko. Oh, my goodness. It was just so special. I'll never forget that night. It's That's why, you know, this story behind me right here, it's the best story I've ever covered in St. Louis sports in my 27 years. Just looking around after the game, there was a great story. Every, you see Bob Plager walking around. Finally got, finally was a part of a Stanley Cup champion in St. Louis. Uh, Vladimir Tarasenko's FaceTiming Yadier Molina. Uh, Aramad Hicks is interviewing Jay Bowmeister, who had waited his whole career for this. I was right there when Pat Maroon greeted his family, which, I mean, him and his dad just broke down in tears. It was a really cool moment. Just everywhere you looked, there was some kind of new cool story. And the, it really hasn't faded, and I don't think it will, at least until somebody else wins. Uh, and that could be for a while, like you said, because the Blues are loaded going into this 24-team tournament we're going to eventually see. That's why on Sunday night you should take McGuire Sosa and watch our parade. It's two hours, magnificently edited by Andy Muller. And it's, you know, the parade's pretty long. I think it was four hours and 28 minutes. 
But Andy cut it down to the best two hours. And if you're a Blues fan, you got to be with us on Sunday night watching this. Last thing here before uh, we jump off tonight. Uh, Kevin Lish retired. Uh, he used to play for SLU, of course, and he was a star at Altoff basketball. He's been playing for 11 years in Australia. And I feel like if you weren't plugged in, you may have forgotten about him around St. Louis. But he's had one of the best professional careers uh, of any recent guys that didn't go to the NBA. Just how good was he when he was here? And how impressive has he been in Australia, Frank? Well, he was an MVP. He won a league championship. He averaged 20 points a game one season. And as we know, and anybody who ever saw him play, he was one of the great defensive players uh, ever in this area, and he's one of the best defensive players in the Australian Pro League. I talked to him last night, uh, real late. They're like 12 or 13 hours behind. It's crazy. And we're going to do an, actually a Zoom interview tomorrow with him at 8 a.m. our time and like 11 o'clock his time at night. He says, I'd be happy to stay up for you, Frank. <laughs> he's, he's one of the greatest kids ever. He's from that outstanding Lish family where all four kids play college basketball. Um, we did a story once. Corey, where this is what they did every night. They got in the family station wagon, Rusty, and they went to a Catholic grade school in Belleville, and they just went at it hard. And, you know, we hear nowadays, oh, if you want to be good, you got to go AAU. Well, Rusty Lish, his father and a former NFL player, would not let him do that because he figured it was a waste of time, like going to an AAU tournament in Las Vegas and playing one game and sitting around a hotel room for, you know, eight or nine hours. He says, we can be in the gym getting better and getting shots up. And, you know, Rusty and Kevin get the last laugh because Kevin got paid in the Escalade, had an unbelievable career. I asked him what's next for him. We were over the phone. We'll get into this more in the Zoom interview. But he said they've offered him a job in the front office. So he'll probably make some more money there. I'd love to see him come back home and, and be a part of the, the, you know, the Belleville community. I know his mom and dad would love to see it, too. We do have a little bit of time left, and we've got still quite a few people watching. I'm going to pull out the Cardinal cards one more time, open to a random page, right. and pick out a card. And the first thing that comes to your mind, okay, i got to open up to a really, oh, a really old one here. What year? What year is this? i got Al Roboski right here, Frank. And I've got, this looks like wow. it's 1976. I got Buddy Bradford, Luis Melendez, Ken Rudolph, Lynn McLaughlin, Don Kessinger, Ron Fairley. The 1965 Cardinals, apparently. 75. 1975, 1975 Cardinals. Yes. Yeah. Or, uh, 76. Yeah. Uh, what, 76, it looks like. Okay, what I, yeah, what I remember most about Al is... Uh, Tommy, no, it wasn't Tommy Lasorda. It was Walter Alston, who was going to be the National League All-Star manager. And Al Robowski was clearly one of the best closers in the National League. And for some strange reason, he was not picked for the All-Star game. And maybe the baseball gods were watching because they scheduled, the Dodgers were scheduled to play against the Cardinals the three games before the All-Star break. So Al who didn't need any extra motivation, had it. And he got a save, I believe, in each of those games, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, as if to say, Walter, 
you made a big mistake by not picking me, and you're going to pay for it. <laughs> I'll tell you, my f I mean, I wasn't around to see him pitch in person, but my favorite Roboski thing comes when he wasn't even with the Cardinals. He was with the Braves, I believe, in that famous video of him versus the umpire, throwing him a new ball, he didn't like it, so he threw it, threw a ball, threw it back, rolled it back to him, threw him another ball, he rolled it back, and then I think he eventually threw him out. <laughs> yeah, that was incredible. You know, he was involved in one of the greatest controversies in Cardinal history, too. Um, the, the manager was this old, stodgy guy by the name of Vern Rapp, and he made Rabowski uh, sh shave his facial hair. And the Fu Manchu was a part of the whole act. And so August A. Bush stepped in, and he eventually got rid of rap, and he let Al grow his mustache. And uh, <laughs> it was one of the most famous Fu Manchus ever in baseball. Al is not Al without the Fu Manchu. All right, everybody, thanks for tuning yep. in and uh, talking some sports with us on a Wednesday night. Uh, whether you were watching uh, on live stream or you're listening later on the podcast, thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week. Hopefully we have some good baseball news to report. See you later, everybody.